Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, Ned. Um, I realised I didn't send anything yesterday um, after two outrageous mountain stages. I mean, I think it's great that, you know, that people were writing off Pogaccia after the first one and then to, to come back swinging in the second one was, uh, from a spectator's point of view, I think it's perfect. I mean, you know, the speed they were going on the Tourmalade was actually insane. I was well in the group at by that point. But no, for me, those sort of days are just... It's just getting around as easy as you can. Obviously, it's never easy, but I think I did a did a good job of saving as much energy as possible. And then, uh, yeah, today was not the nice lead out, but stressful, man. The, the bunch of prints are very stressful. There's just so many bodies everywhere. It's it's quite hard to hard to get it right. But yeah, I went around the last corner in with Phil and where I wanted to be, but he sort of just needed one more guy just to keep the momentum because that's what it's all about in these sprints as soon as you lose your momentum when everyone's going like 70k an hour it's it's pretty crazy but yeah tomorrow's looks like an exact the first first day for me really i'd say maybe see what see what the brakes saying it could be a big one or it could be controlled for potentially a harder sprint so yeah looking forward to tomorrow so far so good We have a new guest in the car. We have a new guest in the car. Brother Cadell has left us. Uh, Cadell Evans, the former winner of the Tour de France in 2011. He's somewhere in Italy, isn't he? Have you seen the picture he sent to our group? I did, yeah. He's, I don't know what he's doing, but uh, he is now listening to the podcast for the first time, having been in it uh, at the beginning. So, um, hello, Cadell. Hello, Brother Cadell. Hi, Cadell. David, you're going to say hello to Brother Kadel? Hello, Brother Kadel. I'm um, driving. And welcome to uh, Herzlichen Willkommen zum ersten Mal in dieser Serie zum ehemaligen 14-maligen 14 uh, Etappensieger auf der Tour de France, Marcel Kittel. Marcel. Hallo, Freunde. Hallo, Freunde. Wie geht's euch? <laughs> How are you? He's here. He's here. We've just had to explain to Marcel what on earth this is. Um, and it took him by surprise. You're working with us for the next two days on ITV. Yes. Yeah, or for the, well, actually just tomorrow now. Yeah. But so also, time. also you're working for Dutch TV. Yeah. And they do a podcast, right? Yeah, now, it, so I'm actually working for a third party. Whoa, you're just uh, minted. Which is a podcast in het wheel, in the wheel, oh, um, yeah. from Thijs Sonnefeld. And they have, yeah, they are a podcast. Just tell me about their technical setup and what they have, Marcel. Um, I would say they're a little bit more professional. You've been in the car two Sorry, minutes, guys. Marcel. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Two minutes you've been in the car. <laughs> oh. um, they have a camper van uh, full of 
yeah, with a complete studio <laughs> full of technical equipment. And I mean, you have a really beautiful rental Citroën. <laughs> uh, got some flaming Doritos. Yeah. Got some Doritos. Cold yeah. beer as well. You've so. got a yeah. yeah very small cold Heineken that's getting warm very quickly. Oh, Marcel! <laughs> it was really kind of you to do that sound effect, but that's backfired a little bit on your sh Oops. literally on your on shorts. The, on the leather seats of the Citroën. Yeah, oh. leatherish. The leatherish. Um, not quite leather, but uh, yeah, it's a slightly different setup. But welcome anyway. Um, ah, thank you. I uh, think I think before we continue, we need to pay homage to the goat. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. To our dear friend and Marcel's fine competition once upon a time. Mark Cavendish. Long live Mark Cavendish. All hail the king. All hail the king. Yeah. It was very hard for a while, David, in commentary to know uh, quite how to approach that, wasn't it? Because it was really hard. And you brought up a really good point because obviously we do it live, but then people will be seeing it on social and you kind of want to go back to the race because you don't obviously we're a British channel we don't want to appear that we're just going to talk about Mark Cavendish for the rest of the stage but you did bring up a good point that people be tuning in and we need to bring it back up and we we did and also it kind of just it ripped our kind of hearts out a bit of everything that was going on so it was quite hard to find the balance there yeah it just feels so unfair doesn't it? I mean, that's the kind of the bottom line, Marcel. It's just it's just unfair, isn't it? It's, just un it's an unfair sport. Absolutely. Uh, it, when I saw when I saw him on the ground, uh, I felt like that not only his dream ended, but also sort of my dream or everyone's dream, basically. And it's it's not only unfair, it's also the end of a really beautiful story, which started to change from a fairy tale to reality after his second place yesterday and um, wow, reality really hurts when you suddenly have to realize that this is the end. Yeah, I think for me, I've seen, well, I've known Mark since I was seven, maybe even maybe even younger when he used to babysit me. Um, that's, yeah, it's just amazing. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, I, going away to the Manchester Youth Tour when I was an under 10. Sorry, Marcel's just falling it's about true. with laughter. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? What? Yeah. Manchester Youth Tour under 10, he was under 16s. And then what I found difficult and the only way I can explain it is when he was sat in the ambulance and you could see almost into his eyes and it was like, do you know when people explain, and this is a really weird way to explain what I thought, but you know when people explain death and they see their life flash in front of them? I almost could see into his eyes and it's just like his whole career just came in front of me everything he'd done and then my next thought was I was just hugely deflated and I didn't realise that I had like obviously he's a good friend but how I don't know like the enthusiasm that I had for this tour and watch and that, that I was watching and commentating on every sprint stage knowing what he could do and what he what he'd already achieved was just was huge I think the the, the Tour de France is so enormous it's such a long story and his career has encompassed so many tours de france over like decades that that the, the story changes quite quickly in the tour de france and and and, and the, the point is that he crashed out the day after the day after 24 hours after he damn nearly broke the mercs record and it has a particular kind of resonance it wasn't uh, it would have had a resonance anyway, but for it, it's just the timing of it. It's like, 
an act of God, isn't it? That's what it is. It's like a bolt of lightning that of all the riders in the bunch, any rider, there's however however many are left, 160 riders left in the race, right? It could it could have been any one of them who had who'd, who'd hit the deck and a bit it happens to be Mark. Hamill. And also just so innocuous. I mean, that doesn't really happen to Mark normally, does it? It's it was just yeah, as you said, out of the all the riders there and just such a a ripple effect crash where it was even they filmed the impact and then it kind of it, rippled back to him. That's a really good point. When Mark crashes, he crashes because you know he, he comes shoulder to shoulder with Peter Sagan and he you know and, and he kind of crashes and then he gets up and walks away from that. Or at the Giro d'Italia when he when he gets like catapulted into the air and slides over for third place, holding onto the bar and gets up and walks away from that. You know, the Mark Cavendish crashes are normally spectacular and he bounces. And this one was at the back of the bunch and just dunk, game over, done. It was like Squid Games, wasn't it? It was, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was anyway. Uh, was it destiny then? Yeah, good point. Well, I don't really believe in destiny, but I know what you mean. It, everything that Mark Cavendish has done from the moment he started winning in 2008 to now, feels like a film script it's just so yeah. impactful because it was his last tour and we didn't dwell or talk on well we might have talked about his crash as much when he crashed out in yorkshire um or the crash with sagan but it's it's just it hits home and it really like pulls on the heartstrings because this is it that's it no more well as far as we know that's his last unless tour. he has a massive change of heart i mean but that would take a huge i don't know Let's not speculate uh, about that. No, but how how many times you know can, can it can it work out like this again? Because in 2021, nobody expected Kev to win so many stages to have such a great tour, and um, this year you know he comes back to a level with a team which was already sort of a last minute decision to get after the the other team folded to get back on Astana and get in shape for the tour, and now. <sighs> It and also like last year, not third time, yeah. yeah, not being selected last year when he was flying. I mean, yeah. So True. anyway, but yeah, it is. I'm with Marcel, not bar humbug, Ned, and his anti-romanticism or well, hyper pragmatism. You think it's destiny? destiny? Yeah, I think it's destiny. But I have a, I have another question. What, what, what do you guys think? What? How did Eddie Max? follow the stage I mean, <laughs> uh, what would his reaction be oh, I don't this is something yeah, yeah. so yeah. there is another side to this because I spoke to a Frenchie after whose name I will not mention who told me not to say his name about anything or ever repeat what he told me oh I'm guessing now I'm trying to guess but oh, he yeah. said That's there's a part one. of me that kind of is glad the Merck's record wasn't beaten because none, none of Merck's rec record should be beaten because he's Merck's which I don't agree with, obviously. But there is that perspective from other people. I don't like that French person. I know why. Whoever it is. Yeah, I'm with you, Marcel. I, but why? this doesn't make any sense. I mean, no. This is modern modern cycling, and to have someone coming that close to the record is is yeah. It's, it would would have been great if Kev would have done that and achieved the the new record. That uh, I don't agree. That's it. No, Point. me neither. But to have in the car the, the, the only rider in Mark Cavendish's career who matched him yeah. at the very best is uh, you did. You matched him. You beat him. He beat you. Yeah. You two, you were the only rider. 
who yeah, really re- operated at the at same the level as Mark Gav's career of, as well. At the best of his uh. career, you were there as well, Marcel. And that's um, you because you stand. So in his career, you stand out. You're the only one, right? Yeah. I can't. I haven't yeah, admitted yeah. anyone, have I? Agree. Now it's yeah, I've, that's you know that oh, oh, oh let's get yeah. rammed off the road. There you go. Um, Never <laughs> strays car. That's what happens. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, it's it's weird. You know why? Because I. Kev was my opponent for so many years and I got stronger every time I had beaten Kev in a sprint. That's sort of how it works between sprinters. And in that time also Kev really, you know, he wouldn't really look at me and uh, having a conversation was always really awkward. Um, But now there is so much respect. Uh, We had a uh, we had a great night last year uh, in Saitama uh, at one of these uh, criteriums from the Tour de France. Uh, we saw each other. It was really, really good. We had a great talk and it's so different compared to when we were riders. Uh, Marcel, we barely what? had a conversation. Look at us now. We're in a car doing a podcast. How far have we come? <laughs> we, we never really had a conversation That's actually either. true. That's Look actually at us now. No, we started this morning. We've blossomed our yeah, relationship. It's, yeah. it's going from strength to strength. Yeah. Are we sharing a room tonight? I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting. So when you were serious rivals, there wasn't much... uh, I mean, like you just said, having a conversation with Mark Cavendish was super awkward. No, you didn't say super awkward. It was awkward. No, no, it was awkward because... Hey, you sort can of you don't just, want to be. Can you hold your microphone a bit more like that? Yeah. yeah. So? Oh, that's very, very loud. No, Maybe so. not. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you, you don't want to. You don't want to be back, back off a little bit. Oh. <laughs> Meine Güte. Yeah, Scheiße. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Explicit you, content. You. Uh, <coughs> oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> We'd like to apologise so okay. for. But yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but you don't want to be friends with your opponent, right? It's, it's, or your rival? It's, it, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Is this, uh, no? Can oh. you understand that? I, not, not that Unless you're Pogacar who just doesn't. But yeah, I agree. I think yeah, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of t- alpha athletes need to kind of create that barrier. Yeah, that exactly. Kind of, that boundary. Yeah. Yeah. But you, alpha athletes. But you also, word. but like I said before, when you came on the scene with Skill Shimano and then, you know, started winning at, on his turf. You, you you presented the first like serious serious cha- prolonged challenge to him, so it must have been very difficult for Cav to process that there was another seriously fast guy who yeah, was yeah yeah I, I don't want to make it too big eh, because also what you, what you, what I also have to say is Kev Kev came up to me after the tour in 2013 after one of the first stage wins and also after 2014 after I won in Harrogate. Um, um he, he was really like yeah this is this is this is really big you're going to be a superstar and and all that stuff so he was really and that was really honest you know he was really i mean he i think it's we we played that sprinters game yeah and and, and that, that that yeah trying to challenge each other obviously that's that's part of it but um at the same time yeah he, like there was always respect and um even more now after we after I I finished my career, he's still active and um yeah, that's that's a great feeling, you know. Yeah, and that's that's the amazing thing. We we you and I spoke about this in commentary, Marcel, that your career started uh, you know, years after Mark Cavendish's was already established. I don't know how many stages he'd won by the time you made your debut in the Tour de France in twenty eleven. 
Yeah. You know, he'd won how many stages? Like he was double digits. I would say definitely more than 20 already. Well, maybe 50, I don't know. But you know, so that's the point that you enter his, yeah. his career. And then you step out in 2019, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. was it. And that's four years ago. And here we are. And you were his biggest rival. It's I, honestly, it's just, it, I, think it's, I think it's extraordinary. Nah. But anyway, there we go. It's, it, yeah, it's happened. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Yeah, let's just wish him all the best and uh, a good recovery. Um, he has so many things to be proud of. Um, he achieved so many great victories. And I, I think it's just... He will look back with great satisfactions. Satisfactions? With great satisfaction. There's only one satisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> as the Rolling Stones <laughs> saying. We can't get there. Um, yeah, but there we go. All right. Well, we're battling along the um, motorway, David. How's the... You're we're good. We're one hour, one hour 50 yeah. from arrival, where we're going to be staying for three nights. Oh, how good is that? I know. It's going to be good so good. Part of the car next to a laverie. Today, oh, which really annoyed me because I spent a lot of time getting my washing done yesterday. Yeah. Could have got it done with ease today, so that sucks. But um, and a day off sports, you didn't do any sports. A day off sports today, yeah. but I'm going big tomorrow. Um, doing a lot of sports. Doing a lot of sport, myself. Yeah. Doing a lot of running and riding my bike. How long? Well, 10k runs and the bike when I can do it, which isn't actually that often here because I'm quite busy. How many kilometers? When, <laughs> oh yeah, I only just started again in February, so I was I was like incredibly unfit, like m the most unfit I've ever been, and overweight. And so I decided I got to do something about this. You're over. You're not. Not overweight. now. Not now. Now I'm fit as a fiddle. Is that true though, David? Do you think that's the most unfit and overweight you've ever been? Yes. Does that, does that include the day you were born? Um, no, because then I was hyper kind of anabolic building. <laughs> What, I couldn't do sport because I was trying to grow. Couldn't do sport. So I was putting all my energy into growing and increasing <laughs> my body size and brain size. Yeah. But when that came to an end, I really focused on sport just to keep my body busy. <laughs> yeah. In a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, kid, uh, uh, Kittle. Marcel. <laughs> What's up, Bolting? No. <laughs> uh, it's a force of habit. You want to fight? You, I very Sorry. nearly said because we've Listen had... Listen here, Kittle. We've had enough of you. The problem was, no, because you did the other day, so we've had Cadell Evans in your seat for six days. So I, I started with a hard K and then, a f and then oh, yeah. that morphed into Kittle. Uh, but what I meant was Marcel. Um, and I forgot my question. Strong name though, isn't it? Marcel. Well, uh, here's a question for you. Oh. Why are all German riders of your generation not, don't have German names? John Dagenkob, Andre Greipel, <laughs> Marcel Kittle. Uh, uh, come on, there's got to be more. Um, uh, name another German rider. Simon. Si well, Simon is that could be just sort of German. I don't know. It's just international, that isn't it? Um, Linus Gurdman. 
Linus. Linus? Linus. Linus. Gerdermann? Is that an American name? Is it a German name? I think it's an American name. American? Linus. Linus. My name is Linus. I think there's a... Who? Paul Voss. Paul. No, that works in German as well. Pretty normal names. Have you ever heard names from the Netherlands? They're like really, really short and really weird. Really? Give us some examples. Yip, yip, yip. Yeah, yip, yup, yup. Pip. Uh, my son is called Lex. Lex. So it's, Lex. it's like you have One to syllable. pay for every letter yeah. that you are using for the name of your child. It's, huh. it's really very short. I just think it's amazing that you speak Dutch. Yeah, that is impressive. I was saying on the podcast yesterday, actually, that you know we're gonna you're gonna be in the car today, and I was kind of preempting the fact that you before you even knew there was a podcast. Yet before you on. knew that there was a podcast, or a really weird name. Yeah. No, I, I say <laughs> it's, it's quite rare, very rare for Germans to learn. Dutch, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Even though they're very oh. similar languages, and but you know, Dutch people can can normally get by in German. They certainly understand it, and yeah. they can have a good go at speaking it, with a few yeah. mistakes maybe. But for a German to actually speak Dutch and master Dutch is quite unusual. Yeah, yeah. But the the languages are pretty similar, and yeah. um, the funny thing is, when Dutch people are trying to to speak German, they get really angry with their voices so if they are trying to say for example butterfly in german it's schmetterling, schmetterling. they're like schmetterling and they're really yelling and they are i don't know <laughs> it's with a, or, 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 or a pen it's a kugelschreiber yep. kugelschreiber they're really yelling and, and i'm like that's not how we speak but yeah, it's but yeah yeah just harder than the german the german language is harder than the dutch language in the pronunciation no is uh, it Ned? i i don't know I, du so deutsch I, ich spreche Deutsch, aber ich habe ich habe eine Zeit lang versucht äh, äh, Niederländisch, also Holländisch zu lernen. Ja. Und ich habe gedacht, das wäre einfach, weil ich Deutsch konnte. Aber die waren so nah verbunden und verwandt, dass ich das vo vollkommen verwirrend fand. Ja. Na? Ja. Verstehst du? Ja. Ja, I agree. Yeah. <lacht> no, Nets German. I feel the same. Nets so. German is really, really, really good. Like really good. You just yeah, made him so, so happy. No, you this, have made me so happy. So happy. Gonna me and David were chatting, chatting over breakfast this morning uh, about, about you. About <laughs> what were so you saying? We were like... Oh no, this is bad. You're talking <laughs> by my back. Yeah. A little nice things. Oh. We were like, how excited is Ned going to be to flex his German with, <laughs> with <laughs> my eyes? Like, yeah, but I do like speaking German because I, I lived there for a long time and, and the annoying thing about Germans is <coughs> that... What? <laughs> the, well, the annoying thing about Germans Sorry? is m Germans speak really good English. So when we're working on the Tour de France, like most Germans do, that there's no, and also on ITV, we want riders to speak English. So there's no cause for me to actually do an interview or anything in German, with the exception of Jan Ulrich. So uh, when, uh, I st when I started, <laughs> when I started, uh, Marcel, with ITV and the Tour de France, Jan Ulrich, uh was still a thing, a big thing, yeah. He was like Lance's biggest rival, 2003, 2004, 2005, yeah, yeah. All, that, all those. And I was like, and but Jan couldn't speak English or didn't speak English back then. Actually, his English is okay now, but I was always sent to interview him, going, you know, like speak, charm him, <laughs> charm him, speak to him in German. And I never got one interview with Jan. Why? I don't, I don't think he liked me, Marcel, I'll be honest. He always like walked away from me, and I don't know why. And I still, but then I did a, I did a, you know, the Ruler Classic. Thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've done, you've been a guest. Yeah. On we that? did it together, actually, me and Marcel. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. I must have forgotten that. Good times. <laughs> oh no, he's remembered. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, rem I remember that. Those nights. Yeah. yeah that was good. <laughs> but anyway, Jan was. Uh, yeah. Anyway, whatever. I've, I've lost my. I've lost my thread. No, so but no, no, no. But uh, Jan is. Uh, that's what I, I've never met him in person. Huh? I've never really? Seriously. I know him from television. Wow. So. Um, uh, yeah, what I've heard, he's a really likable guy. So I, the fact that you didn't get an interview is probably he was, under, he was one stressed. of his PR managers uh, didn't like me. <laughs> didn't like you. <laughs> not, not, maybe not him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, he was so stressed in those years. He was so stressed because the German, you know, he was built up as this year Jan. This year Jan will challenge Lance, and it was never going to happen, was it? Lance, Lance just just found a way every year of putting him in his box. In 2003, he was close. You know, he put Armstrong under pressure, but Armstrong found a way. Or you know, those years with. Yeah, know. he has found ways. Yes, Lance. Yeah. But yeah, it's a yeah, it's kind of a sad story. Also, like I think it would have been good for Ulrich to win the tour, like at least one more time to sort of confirm his potential and talent. But yeah, didn't happen. And it's, well, I think his life would feel a lot of. Uh, documentaries. It, it it did already, and I think it's it's still not not finished. Not resolved. So many so many things still to tell. Yeah, yeah. Where where's some um, Germany at with loving cycling? <laughs> um, oh, difficult question. I think um, so. In general, that's kind of weird. The Germans really love to ride their bike. Eh? Yeah. Not looking at pro sports, they are really like they they enjoy riding a bicycle and. Um, also, a lot of people are riding a bike as sports and um, yeah, pro sport, I think professional cycling benefited from that, from that trend. Um, also from the fat, fact that uh, the public public te television, um, ARD and ZDF uh, are broadcasting again from the Tour de France since 2015. So it's coming back to a more normal level, but um, yeah, there is still some pain left over from all those uh, doping years and all the doping stories and trust is is not as it has been which is logical um so yeah but i think we've we've seen a good development also with the grand uh, depart in germany in just in 2017 that was really good it was cool yeah it was very cool it was, was it, yeah we had i think a million spectators it was a very cool on the first yeah, stage it was, it was really really good so um yeah does this marcel explain good. a lot about the german culture and people because you get a, you have another country like Spain or Italy who are quite flippant. Oh, he doped, it's fine, we still love cycling. But the fact that the people of the country can't trust a sport enough to get behind it. Is that a culture thing or is that... Wh why, where does that come from? I mean, it's a mm, question I'm trying nah, to ask. This. I think it's normal that you want to see your, your heroes from your own country to be successful and then you are you're supporting them and if you're missing these stories and even more in a time you know with a lot of disappointment that the stories that you have followed before your heroes bef from before that they are not real and that they've cheated they, there is a lot of disappointment so um, that combination made it really difficult for a lot of German fans to to trust the sport again but yeah we I think we have a good trend you know credibility is coming back and um, but, yeah. but yeah I think to answer to, to develop what you saying, Pete, I think I think there's a, some similarity with the UK and Germany. Yeah. So so Germany, big country, massive country, big economy, not a cycling core country, right? 
Not really. Like not Belgium, not Italy, not Spain, and certainly not France. So when when the first success started to happen, it was new to a lot of the German population in the 90s. You know, Jan Ulrich and his victory was a revelation to the Germans. They discovered the Tour de France, like the British discovered the Tour de France with Wiggins in 2012. Yep. And then to have that disappointment. So the sport hadn't taken roots. It didn't okay, have generations yeah. of, you know, well, actually, that's quite a strange conversation because in Marcel's case, you know, Marcel's dad was a racer. Tony Martin's dad was a racer. So in East Germany, uh, where Marcel was actually born, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the old, in the former DDR, the East Germany, actually, they, they did have roots there. But by and large, in wider Germany, the sport doesn't have the roots of Belgium or France or Italy. So it's it's more fragile. You know, the love the love is fragile, and if it's rocked so early on by the Ulrich Klöden etc. era at Zabel, you know, it, it's it was problematic, really problematic, and that's probably it. this is getting far too serious Very for never straight far. Very deep. God. Hey, Marcel, uh, I, have, I have another question. Talking oh, about traditions in the sport, I, uh, I always thought that uh, that uh, in the UK um, there are there is a big tradition for for time trialing, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. this is you're sitting this, next yes. to one. I, I I didn't know that, but uh, oh. Oh, oh, we okay. are doing uh, uh, Made it. confident, yeah. so confident maneuver let's, let's by continue. David Miller. You could have been a sprinter, David, <laughs> right, driving a car like this. <laughs> uh, but is this true? How? how I mean, ask him. Did, ask did the, the British people invent time trialing? Do you know the story? You don't know the story. I can tell the story of how time trialing kind of started in the UK. So, at the early 20th century, cycling, the UK was kind of the home of cycling. Some of the biggest races in the late 19th century in France were won by Brits. Weren't they, Ned? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they kind yeah. of, there was a, a kind of fundamental road racing culture, burgeoning road racing culture in the UK at the turn of the It was a Franco-British story. Yeah, at the really end of was. the 19th century, yeah, that's Cadell just... Uh, Cadell! Oh, oh, <laughs> Gas bolting! Oh, 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 so ingrained. I kept right. calling the Tour de France the Giro today as well. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, the 19th, yeah, end of the 19th century, yeah, oh, exactly. Geez. Britain and yeah, France were very hot. much leading the way. Yep. Um, yep. But then at the early Ma 20th century, hey Marcel, when sorry, so I've got to intervene here because I'm listening to this podcast on headphones. We're not allowed to eat and drink directly into the microphone like that. Why? Because people have there is a, a condition that people suffer from called What? misophonia, and lots of people find the sound of eating and drinking. Uh, really upsetting. You know, like the sound of, you know, like the sound of um, fingernails on a on a on a, a, a yeah, blackboard. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sound that affects people like that. Apparently, I didn't know this un mean, until I was doing the podcast uh, back in May, yeah. and we had lots of complaints. I guess so, maybe on the hundred thousand. My apologies. No, no, no. That's to the two people. To who the two from people. It. But. Marcel Kittel has just apologized to you, and really? that is worth yeah. its weight My in gold. honest apologies. Yeah. Uh, David, sorry. So, yeah, back to early 20th century. So when motor cars were being introduced into the UK, um, they came, obviously, the wealthy, the upper classes had them and made the rules, and they banned uh, road racing, kind of groups of cyclists on the road, uh, because it got in the way in the cars, it was dangerous, etc. So the way around that was to create races where the riders set off at one minute intervals and i think to the degree where all bicycle racing was banned on the roads so they'd wear black uh, had no numbers 
they had kind of strict rules. They do them on secret courses, which had codes that you had to know where the, they'd never use the actual names of the villages or the places. There's like H102 sort of thing. I don't actually know all the codes. Um, CB456A. Exactly. And so time trialing became the form of bicycle racing in the UK. And road racing kind of died before it became something. So there's time trialing through the 20th century that became the British form of bicycle racing. And that's where I started. So in the 1990s, I'd come across my school holidays. My mum joined me into a local cycling club. And the first race I did was turn up to a lay-by at the side of a road, pay my 50p, get a number, and do a time trial. And that was the introduction to most British cyclists to bicycle racing. Did you win? Uh, in the first one, no. I got second to Bob Addy, who was a former Tour de France rider. Whoa! 23.58 mm. in a 10-mile. Decent. Decent. Yeah. Wow. Fair David, play. Ned, yeah. do you know Marcel's best results as a junior time trial? No, do you? I yeah, do. You were because, a specialist. Wait there, I've got a good story on this. Well, it's not that good. But do you know his, do you know his results? No. Double junior world time trial champ. And also, the <laughs> second one... No, the, Sorry, I just need to explain. Marcel is turned around <laughs> he's to look at me. Proud. He's grinning from his <laughs> He's shoveling pistachio nuts into his mouth. They're really proud. And he's, look, and he's nodding like, yep, ah, that's me. 2000 and... <laughs> uh, Marcel, 2006, Spa. Yeah, I watched you on the side of the road. Oh. Win it. Well, not win it, but I watched you go past. Because I was there as a junior as well. Ah, okay. Yeah. Are you that's why you I were born it. in 87? 80, 89. 80, oh. So you were first year. No. Well, I'm older. Oh, shit. Yes, yeah, so I was first year junior. You were second year. Ah, so that okay. must have been your second year. Time yeah, trial. It was a really hard course. Lots of climbing. Lots of, yeah. I didn't do the time trial, but yeah. The, yeah, road, the road race was I easier. was dropped so early. Wait, was uh, it on the motor racing yeah. circuit? Yeah, and it went off and did some well, other lo- roads. There's lots of hills on there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. That's really And hard. also, you don't realise how steep some of the hills are on the motor racing circuit because they go at like 200k an hour plus. Wait. They just fly over them, but on a bike, it's like ten percent those climbs on a circuit. <laughs> and Marcel won it. And he won, won the time trial. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fair play, Marcel. I, uh, yeah, and then, uh, then for the road race, I had to hand uh, hand out bidons to the national team when, of Germany. When did you find out you were a sprinter? Um, actually, pretty early because I um, just sprinted for the whole time trial. During that time trial. <laughs> no, and, uh, when I actually started riding a bike, uh, I first started on a mountain bike, and then uh, later I knew, yeah, I always wanted to go to the road because mountain biking is the racing is pretty boring because it's three, two, one start, and then you're like one minute with all the other riders in one group, and then everyone is gone in the forest and riding alone. So it's a time trial, basically. That was always my impression of mountain bike races. And uh, when I started to ride on the road and I did the first races, um, yeah, I pretty quickly discovered that I could sprint quite well. Oh, so, oh. There you go. That, what about that's track? It. That's simple. What about track? Your track? Cause in I was yeah. scared. <laughs> no, you weren't. Were you? I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not kidding you, really. I was, I was always a little bit scared on a track. It, doesn't it's just Thanks a stupid idea my, um, to ride with 65 kilometers per hour without brakes on a 200 meter track with really steep uh, 
corners, how do you yeah. call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On the, on the, on the, yeah. On the only banking. turning left. Banking. Yeah, yeah, I guess no one's going to ask yeah. about my achievements as a junior so on the track, are they? No, no it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's all right. No, 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 we're not. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. It's not about me, the podcast. It's fine. Um, (laughs) Um, There's a lot of fumbling around for like um, extra snacks, supplies, and bits and pieces here going on. Um, Arnstadt is where you grew up. Arnstadt? I was born there. You're born there. You moved to Erfurt. Echtershausen, famous Echtershausen, 4,000 people living there. That's very famous. Uh, Very famous. But your nearest track was the one in Erfurt, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was a concrete track. Yeah, it's pretty 350 meters. Pretty scary. It actually yeah. had like bumps in it because it was that old. Um, so yeah, that's where I started to ride, where I crashed the first time. Really, sh- 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 not a good feeling, <coughs> shit feeling. I wanted to say, um, if you crash on on a concrete track, on was a Cottbus track, right, a track near? Yeah, huh? Cottbus is not far from where. Yeah, Cottbus. Yeah? Cottbus Cot- is not far. F- well. Relatively, relative, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's in the east. Three, four hours. <laughs> it's around the corner. Yeah, once yeah. upon a time I did it. Go on. On go on, go on, Pete. Go on, Pete. Go on, Pete. Tell us about the racing car. Oh, God. It's a few stories, actually. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Let's the, go. Yeah, the go first on, story. Road race or on the track? Uh, European Championships on the track. Cottbus. Oh. Uh, again, outside track, concrete. Fear. Absolute <laughs> fear. <laughs> you do not want to crash on this track. On Let's just put it that yeah, way. Yeah. And we had these, like, <laughs> fancy British cycling tyres on with no treads. And I was basically... Um, resting in the Madison when you're not because obviously in Madison's two people sling each other into the race and I was uh, resting that fast because I was scared to go slow in case I slipped down that Adam Blythe was doing about six laps in the race and then <laughs> one other mistake I made when Shane Sutton was there a young French lad well we were all young because it was a junior Madison Europeans came down and often like they'd put the hand out really early in the Madison, you come down and you put your hand up just as your partner comes. Just in time, just sling. in time. This guy comes down, like literally riding in front of the, the group with his hand out. So I just come up to him and just slap his hand. <laughs> 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 in, the, in the junior European Championships. <laughs> well, just to annoy him. Well, I was just like, what are you doing? Like, just you know, like, just put it down. Do <laughs> <laughs> Shane Sutton rips the back out of us, me and Blythe. Like, <laughs> Ball, like honestly, it was awful. Anyway, then, <laughs> if you want to hear about more of my, you know, illustrious junior career. Oh, definitely. I th- so there was the under twenty three academy at the time, which was Ben Swift. Um, who else was there? I can't remember who else. Anyway, um, so Rod Alling, <laughs> Rod, Rod Allingworth, the Berkey, Stephen Burke. Berkey was there. The Ineos general manager now. He was running the under twenty three team, and he'd seen our junior team pursuit where I was obviously you know doing big turns let's just put it that way <laughs> <laughs> and Tennant Paul Andrew Tennant I don't think he's ever forgive me I got put in the under 23 European team pursuit team as a junior which as you can imagine was pretty bloody big at the time yeah you know so there I go slot in won the uh, yeah won the under 23 European team pursuit champs as a junior and then all went downhill from there. No, I sat in a car with bloody Marcel Kittel. <laughs> Marcel Kittel. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I had to fit my junior. Yeah. <laughs> my junior stories in. We didn't want to hear that actually. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> while, while we're reminiscing. No, I don't oh, know. Well, I'm an oh, While we're reminiscing, we just entered Correz. 
This is where I won my biggest amateur race in 1996. Oh, go on. Tour de la Croise. Oh, go on. Tour de la Croise. Corrèze. Yeah. Won the first race stage. Won the time trial. Standard. That's the end of the story. But yeah. Time okay, trials. Then time I, trial. want, I want to tell a, a story about the splinters that I have in my ass. You want to see it? Yeah. 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 Go on. No, because my uh, my track career was so successful that um, yep. when I finally sort of came over my fear of uh, riding on a track, I got over it. That's what I wanted to, me to say. Yeah. Um, we had to do a German championship in Cologne. And Cologne is also a track outside, 250 meters. Uh, but it's a wooden track. Wooden? So it makes outdoor, no sense. Outdoor wooden track. Wow. Yeah. Like Leicester. So that means uh, okay. when it's winter, it would be freezing on the on the wood, and in the summer, it's obviously it's not freezing. It's very hot, so it's really moving and it's really really rough. So, so I ideally, you race in the spring or the autumn. No, yeah, it's, where it's no, not summer it's, or winter. What it does is it's just actually destroying the track really quickly okay, fine, because yeah. the wood is just really yeah. yeah really rough, and you have these little wooden pieces standing out and um, so I decided yeah uh, okay let's go to the German championships you know also so like sort of a test to overcome that fear and uh, I did the medicine there which was a really smart idea because in the, uh, in the qualification for the final me and my partner we we were fit we were in a good condition but then he decided to like <laughs> throw me into the race but also throw me into another couple <laughs> and I you were like swingers yeah yeah <laughs> like, like human swingers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was really terrible I mean I, you, that's the thing if you have no brakes then you just know what's going to happen because I had nowhere to go and I was just causing a crash with I think eight or nine guys oh well done myself and i had everywhere splinters in my ass <laughs> and, uh, yeah that's terrible god's punishment <clears throat> so i was disappointed by ned when we were walking back from catering today why why because you disappoint? you're we're like disappointed with me david yeah go on. we're really enjoying this tour yeah it's kind of the best tour we've ever had yeah and how many have we done now, Ned? Five or six? What, together? Yeah. As commentators? Way yeah. More. We started in 2016, David. Oh, wow. This is Seven. 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20. One, two, three. This is um, our eighth. Eighth? Wow. Yeah. Um, and we were saying how much we're enjoying it. And you said you can't enjoy it because you're sure now next year is going to be terrible. And I just was... I kind of took the wind out of my sails. But that's... I. That's a, a personality problem that I've got. That I can't, I'm always, when something is put, like this, for, no, actually it's not applicable to this, but often when things are really good, I'm already thinking about the end of the thing that is good. I'm thinking about how, that, how difficult that's gonna be when the thing that is good is no longer there. So it clouds my enjoyment of the thing that is good. I'm the, I'm the complete opposite to you, so often yeah, like my Marcel parents... Is looking at me Marcel is looking, he's, he's, pe he's peeling pistachios and just staring at me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, listening, I'm so, listening. So my parents look after the kids and me and Lauren go on city breaks for yeah one or two days max. Yeah. Sometimes longer if you know, we're in the good books. But I have said time and time again, when I'm back in this situation, I'm going to appreciate every moment. Yeah. And then I get home and I'm like, I literally can't remember that trip when that well. big <laughs> <laughs> it's probably another reason yeah there may be 
no, honestly, maybe. it's like I was just I was enjoying it that much that I didn't even have a second. You lived, you lived in the moment. You yeah, weren't banking think, it. You weren't doing mental no, postcards. No, it was that much fun that I didn't ever be like, okay, I'm just going to really appreciate what's going on. You are very much a carpe diem, seize the moment. You are living the day kind of guy, aren't you, yeah, Pete? Big yeah, time. yeah, yeah. It's just all happening in real time. Yeah, no future, no past. <laughs> just live the now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to carry on podcasting. Um, we've we've reached a point, you know, in the duration of this podcast where we can stop if we want. David, what's the what's the ETA? How long have we got? One hour seventeen. So we could carry on, but um, yeah. it might annoy everybody. We're kind um, of probably just. We're probably. We've well, got nothing yeah. else. We're kind of petering out. I can sense oh. it. Yeah. Are we petering out? I didn't think we were. But okay. No. Well, Marcel's just, uh, just heavy pistachios. <laughs> yeah. Just taken over Cadell's pistachios. Yeah. We haven't. Oh, yeah. Those, those we, are Cadell's. We what? should uh, yeah. surely touch yeah. on the race a little bit more. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The race. Yeah, yeah. The race. Any yeah. Of the no, race. you're yeah. totally right. Than, yeah. True. Yeah. But I mean, Ned, give us an upsum. Okay, upsum. Right. Okay. Bit of a scrap to get in a bit because no one knows whether it's going to come back. No one knows whether it's going to be uh, breakaway day. So lots of big hitters, including Mas Pedersen, in the eventual stage winner today. Try and get off in a break, break, breakaway. A uh, bunch of other guys, Edward Bursenhagen, can't remember the rest of them. Try and get up the road. They all kind of mark each other out of it and it all stalls a little bit. And then the thing that happens when sometimes the big players just stop for a bit is that four, sorry, three slightly lesser players get up the road and actually no one kind of reacts immediately although for a while they were trying to get across and then eventually the three were away and it was Tim de Klerk and it was Anthony de Laplace and it was um, Anthony Tergis who finished second in Milan San Remo so he's a proper hitter and he of those three were kind of like they were sort of like uh, thinking oh what do we do now but interestingly they had an absolutely perfect tailwind all day which meant that the race was hard and that the bunch behind didn't give them too much they only had about four and a half minutes at the time um eventually the breakaway sort of cracked as we came into the climbs towards the haute vienne um fell apart a little bit under pressure and of course it was Anthony Turgis who um attacked from that group because he is the strongest of those riders and just for a while it looked like he was he'd be a bit of a problem this is forgetting of course the Cavendish crash which was the big headline but we've already dealt with that and then really there was this final sort of cat four climb there were two cat four climbs the final cat four climb um and there was a little false flat over the top of the cat four climb and then there was a kicker right just a little 300 meter slightly steeper moments on the course before the drop down into Limoges and that was where I interestingly I had alerted Fred Wright who wanted to get in the break today yeah I had alerted Fred Wright to the to the presence of this kicker and Fred who we heard from at the beginning of the podcast um, knew about this kicker and was really alert to what might happen there Victor Campanats tried to attack. Hang on a second. The pride you take in your director sportive. I love being a director sportive. The moment we turned the mics off, you picked up your phone and said, look, Fred, listen to me. Fred, Fred totally listened yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, carry on. Fred, check anyway, it, it didn't out. Work. Big, it didn't big work. intel, Fred. Come, but, come, come but on at you. Big intel. So Victor Campanats knew about the kicker. Fred Wright knew about the kicker. But the pace was so high with the tailwind, they couldn't get away. Uh, and then it all came back. And so then we had the sprint. And... Tre- oh, what are they called? Little Trek. Why don't we get Marcel Kittel to talk us through the sprints? Li- Marcel Kittel, well, he's, he's just f- stuffing his gob with pistachios. Peter doesn't want. 
Where was Pedro? That is a sprinter's analysis because ultimately that's all that matters. No, I'm yeah. saying that because uh, we all agreed that Peterson is in a oh, downward Pedersen. trend. And yeah. he's not going to be yeah. <laughs> really successful at this tour. We did say yeah. that in common. Yeah. We, we disagreed. All of us Winning the yeah. hardest sprint Just of this year's Tour de France so far. Yeah. Uh, with a great teamwork, great positioning. Every, a lot of single, power. every single rider from the team contributed. Not one didn't. They all yeah. did a huge amount of work. We saw the Danish guys after Stay Rolf Sorensen and that. Apparently, Bjorn Rees is doing a column oh, yeah. for BT. Is that oh, the paper is great. or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said in his column that there's no way Mads Pedersen is going to do anything until he loses is two kilos then he might win something no. ooh, 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 ooh. yeah yeah he said yeah. that beyond oh. yeah, yeah. Bjarne. that's quite We're old fine. school thing to say that. super old school beyond beyond is he a bit bitter <laughs> probably i think he's just bitter about everything isn't he beyond well maybe just trying to kind of be all old school smart this is great we've just like in yesterday's pod we were talking about alexander vinikurov oh and, yeah and now we're talking about beyond and oh, we've had a little bit of Jan Ulrich today I as well. Um, this is actually yeah. spoke with Bjorn Reese once. Yeah. So have I. Yeah. I, I had lunch with him during my van. It's more impressive that I did because of because it's I'm less impressive than well, I don't know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> it's more random that I spoke with Bjorn Reese than well, you, David. I you've spoken to Bjorn Reese. Does that make sense? Pete, you've spoken to Bjorn Reese. Yeah. I've spoken to Bjorn Reese. Marcel, have you spoken to Bjorn Reese? Never ever. No, no, no. I haven't spoken to Bjorn Reese. Nope. Oh. Wow. He speaks in like haikus, yeah, doesn't he? Very difficult to interview. Like little Japanese, yeah, like yeah. little just seventeen syllables. Yeah, I yeah. seen him at the Vuelta yeah. like after kind party, of. and he was like trying to talk to me about sitting at the back, and I was like, "Bjarne, there's a time and a place, mate." Oh, <laughs> just finish the. I can tell my Bjarne like, story now as well from 1997 World Championships in San Sebastian. Oh, the cigarette yeah. story is that right? Oh, I've given so, well, given away the punchline, but yeah, well no. done. No. Sorry, yeah. Um, so it was after the Worlds. Everyone was having a lot of fun. Uh, there were a lot of cigarettes going around, as a lot of pro cyclists do when they're drunk, just because they think it's like dangerous and cool. I was, <laughs> I was in a, a bar and I walked in and I was with a group of I don't know who, and I had a cigarette. And Bjorn was at the end. And actually, footnote here: Bjorn has a cigar. Of course he does. And it comes across to me, takes my cigarette and drops it and puts it down my shirt and says, "Don't smoke, David." And I'm like, "What?" What? Put it down your shirt? Yeah, I mean, it went straight through, so it didn't... Uh, anyway, you kind of lifted it enough for it to drop straight through. That's right. what I remember. Right. And um, it was really weird. But yeah. It's quite Bjarne Reese, that. That's very Bjarne Reese, isn't it? Kind of looking after me, but in quite a aggressive way. <coughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. That was my first Do you remember Bjarne that Reese. film they made, CSC, years ago? Yeah, what was it called? Overcoming. Overcoming. Yeah. With Sastre on yeah. that training ride, and Bjarne riding alongside him and going... What's what's wrong? What's wrong, Carlos? What, yeah. What's wrong with you? Like really, like whispering rather than shouting at him. Very strange. Very strange. Anyway, not um, as strange as my grandma having his photos in her. In her that's the weirdest thing in the world. That's the weirdest what? thing in the world. Everybody, no, I, I, if, if there's long time podcast, like head around. Tell myself, okay, <laughs> but, Well, you need to know about Pete Kenyon's grandma. So, now, yeah, so I've got two grandmas. One's like really loose and got here. Uh, ancestors uh, from the Isle of Skye and the story goes that the Spanish Armada got shipwrecked there and <laughs> basically the Spanish Armada How old is your grandma? <laughs> 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 anyway Marcel <laughs> wins the pod <laughs> Without uh, Yeah so, No Yeah Without going into detail that's why 
like I've got slightly browner skin than the normal uh, Manx, Manx, Manx person. Isle of Man person. Yeah. Spanish Armada, Isle of Sky, shipwrecked. You can, you can understand the rest of the story. Is this why you live on the Isle of Man? No, so you're stranded there? You no, just... I'm trapped there, yeah. But no, I'm not trapped there either. Anyway. He loves the Isle of Man. He absolutely loves his home. Yeah. 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 My other grandma, who is a massive cycling fan, and that's where our sort of my cycling story starts, um, just loved Bjorn Reis. And she lost her husband relatively early, but she thought, oh, he does look a little bit like my granddad, Roy. <laughs> and and she loved Bjorn Reese and she has photos of him in like in his time trial. And Marcel has now turned fully around <laughs> and he's staring at Pete. Like in his time trial helmet, you know, uh, in, uh, it's it, so in the hall. It's unusual, isn't it? It's, oh, no, my grandma's it's house is like, it's mega. Like, very unusual, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But a nice story. I mean, yeah. so... Uh, <laughs> you are not the first cycling fanatic in, in, in the family. No, but I'm not a cycling fanatic. That's the point. <laughs> it's like, I am, but I'm not. Not as much as, <laughs> not as, much as your grandma. You no, got, oh, no, no, no. Wow. I love cycling, but I've got, I have nothing displayed in my house that shows up. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, that's okay. It's normal. That's normal. <laughs> so what don't That's we know? What, what, tell us something about <laughs> you, Marcel. What don't, don't yeah, we know about you? Well, there must on, be yeah. there must be one. Um, yeah, one like my age on where I live or nah, No, that's that. Googleable. We can all Google yeah. that. <laughs> Stuff we can't Google. Um, Actually what are you doing these days? Apart from yeah. this. Uh, yeah, so what I'm, I'm actually so what I am doing uh, and what am I doing? Um Dunno. I'm uh, <laughs> So when I retired, I uh, was really, yeah, I was I was thinking about what should I do. I I, I want to keep my connection to the sport, so I um, sort of felt like it's logical to work uh, with a couple of brands together um, uh, and, and and start some commentary because yeah, there is there was a good opportunity to do that, and I really really like it. I love to be at uh, races like the Tour, but also the Tour of Germany and uh, Deutschland Tour. Yeah, Deutschland too. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's really, really cool. Um, and besides that, I've uh, launched together with Tony Martin and a friend, um, common friend of us, uh, a kids bike brand four weeks ago. No. So, uh, What's that's, it called? Uh, yeah, Lion Bikes. Fantastic. So, I saw yeah. that. They're super cool. Beautiful yeah. bikes. We, yeah. We, Lights we, built in. Yeah, we yeah. are all dads and we really want to you know, take all the innovation that we have in the cycling industry also to kids' bikes, because when you look at the bikes now for kids, yeah, they're kind of old school, uh, aluminum or steel frame, very heavy. Uh, really I mean, hard for have, kids. It, it has been getting yeah. better already, but yeah. I think, or we think that they can be, there can be much more innovation uh, for our kids. Um, and we also really want to focus on, 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 on safety, on visibility and traffic, uh, because there yeah, are also a lot of points to improve. And uh, so that's the way forward for us. What's Tony doing now? Because last time I heard he was working in a school as a, as a sports teacher, right? Yeah, Tony is uh, still living in Switzerland with his family. He has two girls now. Um, yeah, living happy there with his, with his wife, Nina, and uh, working. He works for, for a talent school. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, I think working there like one or two days per week, uh, giving trainings and helping kids to ride a bicycle. That's Which amazing. I've never really taught that, like your bikeability. Is it? Well, in the UK, <laughs> it's called bikeability. You know, oh, okay. teaching kids how to ride a bike. 
in a little car yeah. park at the back with traffic cones and kind of all that sort of thing. Imagine if Tony Martin was teaching, that'd be cool. Riding 350 watts average. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, Nobody's happy here. Yeah. At what point do I get nervous about petrol, guys? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, it's red. It's very red. It's been Is it like very red? There's supposed to be no petrol station for ages. How many ages. kilometers? You got uh, probably not that far. So we I might need to come off and Google petrol station. You know what the worrying thing is, David? Yeah. Oh, Marcel. Marcel's just gone straight into kind of DS the, mode here. The worrying Let's thing find is a solution here. Yeah. Like, he's, he's looking mm. at... The, it's yeah. a quick detour. Quick. It's one hour. What? <laughs> no! If we had a Brompton, Jeez. you could go and get a Jerry. Station de Bonavisha. Oh, that was it for minutes. an electric car. Oh, we can yeah. make that. Yeah. Yeah, can yeah. Make can we do that? Are we yeah, going to get there? It'll make it. I'll just drive a little bit slower. Uh. Yeah, you're driving the whole time 200. No, I wasn't myself. <laughs> no, Jesus. certainly not. <laughs> no. Definitely not driving that fast. No. no. Okay, good. No. That's fine. Carry on. Well, how could you drive that fast and do a podcast? No. No, no, that would be illegal. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Tomorrow on the podcast, you can find out whether or not we ever got to the hotel. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 